right, good morning. How are you guys doing? Good, good. I'm doing great. My Astros won last night on a on a walk off Jose Altuve home run, and I was like, man, I've got a I've got I've got to wear the Altuve jersey this morning. So, <laughs> hey, it's gonna be a fun week over the next over the next week. So, uh, it's gonna be a good time watching the Nats and the Astros go at it. I'm excited about it. I know a lot of you guys are too. Um, so I'm going to start this morning uh, by reading the text. We're going to be in Romans chapter 6. So uh, if you have your Bibles, you can uh, take those and turn to the book of Romans. It's in the New, in the New Testament after uh, the book of Acts. Romans chapter 6. Uh, Romans is a letter. It's an epistle written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. Uh, and uh, Romans is, uh, in a lot of ways, probably the most complete gospel presentation that uh, we have in the New Testament when it comes to Paul's letters from start to finish. He, he lays out the, the fullness of the gospel, uh, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we've been in our Bible reading plan. If you've been following along in the Bible reading plan we've been going through uh, as a church, then you would have read the book of Romans this week, and uh, Romans 6 would have been in your reading. So that's where we're going to be, uh, Romans chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 14, all right? Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. This is the word of God. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin, once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Let me pray. God, um, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity we have to gather together this morning as the church. God, you've given us your word for our good. You've given us your word so that we can know you, um, so that we can know how we ought to uh, follow you and serve you. You've given us your word to protect us to warn us, to instruct us, to correct us, to comfort us, to encourage us. God, your word uh, points us in the direction that we should go when we don't know what to do. 
Lord, this morning as we talk about sin in the life of a believer and in the life of a non-believer, God, I pray that you would just speak very clearly to us, that we would listen to what your word has to say. God, you did not give us this word uh, to, to, to take away our joy. God, you've given us your word so that we might find our wholeness and our joy in you. You've given us your word to protect us from being deceived by sin, from straying away from you. So, God, help us to listen this morning. Help us to uh, think about how this applies to our own lives and not to just the people around us or, or people that we know. God, I pray that your word would shine into our own hearts uh, and that, God, though it might be uncomfortable, I pray that you would do the good work of, of uncovering sin in our lives so that we can make a clean break from it this morning and we can walk in real life, in true life. God, please help me as I preach. I can't do anything apart from you. Lord, I pray that your word would, would do the work. Help me to depend on you, to trust in you, to not lean on my own understanding. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14, this passage I just read is uh, in response to the two verses at the end of chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. So Paul has just finished saying in Romans 5, he said, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus our Lord. So essentially what Paul has just got done doing is the first kind of two and a half chapters of Romans he lays out the reality that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he, you know, basically by the time you get to the end of chapter 3, we all know every single one of us is guilty before God. All of us have sinned. But then Paul presents the gospel. He says, so even though we can't be righteous with our own works, he says that's the whole reason that Jesus came. Jesus came to be the propitiation for our sin, which is a big word that basically means that he took the wrath of God in our place. He bore our sin in his body on the tree. So Jesus came, and if we place our faith and our trust in him, we can receive his righteousness as a free gift. And he takes our sin debt upon himself. So that's the gospel. And Paul says, that's how we're saved. And then in chapter four, he goes on to explain how uh, it's by faith alone that we're saved. He, he uh, holds up Abraham as an example uh, of what faith looks like. Uh, and then in chapter 5, uh, he talks about how we've been uh, justified by faith and that God's love has been shed abroad in our hearts. Uh, he points to the fact that uh, the cross is the ultimate demonstration of God's love. And then he wraps up, by chap wraps up chapter 5 by, by saying that, look guys, uh, the law increases the trespass in us, which basically what Paul is saying is, is the harder we try to obey uh, God's law, the more we realize that we really are incapable uh, of doing it. And so when God's law, when a command comes in to our lives and God says, hey, do this and you will live, or hey, don't do this, it, it for whatever reason, that awakens the temptation in us, right? It's kind of like if I tell you, don't think about a pink elephant, right? 
what's going to happen? You're going to have a really hard time not thinking about a pink elephant. The very command awakens the power of temptation, right? Does that make sense? And so that's what Paul's saying. He's like, we're we're incapable of of doing this. And yet, uh, despite our own sinfulness, we can never outsend God's grace. If we place our faith in Jesus, no matter no matter where you've come from, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, God's grace swallows up our sin. If you place your faith in Jesus. So then then Paul goes, okay. Now I know that there's going to be some people who immediately are going to hear that and go, okay, but if if God just looks more and more gracious, the more that I sin, does that mean that we're just free to sin as much as we want? I mean, can I just go and like live my life however I please and because I've got my get out of hell free card, I've got my ticket to heaven? And and that's the question that Paul is addressing here initially in verse 1. He says, by no means. No. And there's really kind of two reactions to this um, this idea that you can't outsend grace. And there's there's really two reactions in this room. Some are going to are going to want to take advantage of grace as a license to sin like we just talked about. Like, hey, the more I sin, the better it makes God look. I mean, look how much gracious, you know, look how gracious it makes God look. And there's, you know, I, I don't know if there's a lot of people who would actually say they believe that. You know, not a lot of people would say, like, yeah, I want to try to sin as much as I can because that makes God look better. I mean, that kind of sounds silly when we say it out loud. But functionally, there's an epidemic of Christians who live like that, who live their lives like that. They might not say it. But they're living their lives basically as they please and just kind of banking on the fact that, well, I did pray the prayer and I got baptized. And so I know that, you know, I'm not doing everything God wants me to do, but it's okay. God is a God of love. And that's essentially what we're doing when we say something like that is we're sinning so that grace may abound. Hey, God's grace is going to cover it. It's no big deal. Right. And Paul says, no, 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 no. That's not how grace works. But that's not the only reaction we could have to this passage. There's others who would say, with Paul, I don't want to sin. I really don't. I don't want to sin, and yet I feel like I can't stop. I, it, it bothers me that I continue to have this sin in my life, but and I, I've tried to overcome it, but I don't know what to do. Uh, and sometimes I wonder if I'm even really a Christian because I, I keep doing the things that I don't want to do, and I and I do the things that I don't want to do. So what what do I do? I mean. I don't know about you guys, has anybody else ever been frustrated at your lack of, of progress in Christ-likeness? I know I have. Oftentimes it's hard to believe that we've died to sin when it feels like we're still living in it. So that's the question that I want to address today. If we've died to sin, why does it feel like I still live in it? And this, this passage gives an answer to both reactions. Can I keep on sinning? And how can I stop sinning? Both of those questions have the same answer. This passage is a caution to those making peace with sin and a comfort to those who are battling with sin. It's a caution to those making peace with sin and a comfort to those battling sin. So I'm going to go ahead and just give you like the one sentence summary of this passage right now and of this message right now. Okay, And it's, it's in your outline. Uh, by the way, there are sermon notes uh, on your chair when you walked in, and you're free to follow along on that. Here's the one sentence outline. When we are united with Christ, we've been set, we're set free from sin's condemnation and sin's control. When we're united with Christ, 
we're set free from sin's condemnation and sin's control. Let's talk about those two things one at a time, sin's condemnation and sin's control. So in, in the first ten verses of this passage, uh, Paul lays out that something called a doctrine called union with Christ. And we're going to break that down here in just a second. But before we do that, I just want to point out the obvious. Okay, Sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. There's no such thing as no strings attached to sin. That's one of the oldest lies in the history of the universe. In fact, we see it all the way back at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. You guys remember the story? What happens in the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve are put in the garden. God tells them, hey, I've provided everything that you need. Uh, I, God walks with them and talks with them. They uh, are unashamed, no sin. They've got everything they could ever possibly want or imagine. And God just says, here's just one thing. I want you to, to, to trust me and love me by not eating the, the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? And what does... What happens? The serpent comes, right? Satan comes to Eve and he says, hey, why don't you try some of this fruit here? It's pretty good. You know that that God just doesn't want you to eat it because then if you do, you're going to be like him, right? God's holding out on you. And what does Eve respond with? She says, well, well, God told us that if we eat of the, of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we'll die. And what is his response? You will not surely die. It's one of the oldest lies in the history of the world. You will not surely die. There are no consequences for your sin. You can get away with it. The world is deceived by sin. Romans chapter 1 clearly outlines this. That's uh, at the beginning of this book. Paul outlines the problem that we have with sin. He talks about a dark exchange that's been made. He says, uh, we've exchanged the truth about God for a lie and we've worshipped and served the things that God has created rather than the Creator Himself. That's the essence of sin. It's that we choose to uh, to fill our lives with something other than God. We choose to look to things other than God to give us the comfort, the security, the pleasure, uh, the safety that only God can actually truly give us. And so because of that exchange, there's a result, there's a consequence Romans 1.28 says that God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So God uh, lets, basically lets us have what we want. Let's the world have what it wants. Okay, you want to go and uh, you know look to all these other things that I've created for your satisfaction, for your pleasure instead of me? I'm going to hand you over to those things. And after listing the rampant wickedness and and the various types of sin that the world has fallen into in Romans chapter 1, verses 29 to 30, Paul summarizes it in Romans 1.32. He says, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Isn't that today's world? Evil is celebrated as good. Good is called evil. So should we sin that grace abounds? No, we shouldn't. If you want to live, then no, we should not sin so that grace may abound. There's no such thing as no strings attached to sin. Sin has consequences. It has eternal consequences. But the good news is that union with Christ sets us free from those eternal consequences. 
It sets us free from sin's condemnation. Look at verse 4 in our, cha- in our, in our passage, Romans chapter 6. Paul says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a, re- in a resurrection like his. So the law, God's, God's commands say, do this. But the problem is, is we can't. It's, like I said earlier, like me trying to tell you to not think about a pink elephant. The very command awakens the strong pull of temptation. The law gives the command to resist sin, but not the capability to overcome it. And that's the problem. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 56, he says, The sting of sin is death, and the power of sin is the law. The law is like giving a map to a guy whose car is out of gas. It tells you where to go, but it can't help you get there. It can't power you there. It can't can't get you from point A to point B. And that's why the gospel is such good news. Jesus actually gets us there. The gospel doesn't just give us the, the command to be righteous. It actually gives us the capability to be righteous. The, the, the gospel actually gives us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus came and he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live in our place. And though he was innocent, he died a sinner's death on the cross. He took your punishment in your place. And then when we place our faith in him, he gives us his perfect spotless record of righteousness. That's the only way we can be saved. It has nothing to do with your good works. It has nothing to do with what you do. There's nothing you can add to that. That doesn't just start the process and then you just kind of finish the job by doing good works and making sure you don't lose your salvation. No, no. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, period. That is the only way we can be saved is by being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that bat, when we get baptized, it symbolizes that by faith, Jesus' death and resurrection have been applied to us. So when you go under the water, what that's symbolizing is it's symbolizing that your judgment has already taken place. You've been buried with Christ in, in baptism, raised to walk in new life. Okay, So it's symbolizing that your judgment day happened 2,000 years ago. And, and when you come up out of that water, it's also symbolizing that because Jesus is alive, because he rose from the dead bodily, you also are going to live forever. You also are going to rise from the dead bodily. So, so we're set free from sin's condemnation. That's what it means to be united with Christ. That's what union with Christ is. His death was your death. His resurrection is your resurrection. Union with Christ means that everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you. Everything that He deserves, you deserve. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? But that's, it's true. By faith, everything that He deserves, you deserve. Everything that Jesus earned belongs to you. And every debt that you incurred, He's paid off. But not only does union with Christ set us free from sin's condemnation, it also sets us free from sin's control. Look at verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. You see, 
when you go down under the water in baptism, when you're baptized, it doesn't just symbolize that your judgment day is taking place. It doesn't just symbolize that that Jesus took the punishment in your place. It also symbolizes that your old man, like Second Corinthians calls it, or your old self that was enslaved to sin, that self is now dead and gone. The power that sin had over your life has now been broken. It's been buried with Christ. So just as Jesus died to sin, you now are also dead to sin. When someone is, is saved, when someone's born again, they are fundamentally changed. They're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. You have the Spirit of Jesus inside of you, giving you the desires and the ability to do the things that are pleasing to God. So Christians don't ask, how much sin can I get away with? There, there should be a growing hatred for sin and a growing love for God in your life. That's the obvious evidence that the Spirit of Christ dwells in you, that you have been born again, that you've been changed. If that is, if that is not evident and present in your life, then there is good reason to question whether or not you are, in, in fact, actually saved. Like if you, so if you're sitting there this morning and you're, and you're finding yourself going, like, I don't, I don't know if that's actually happening in me. Then, then you may need to, you may need to place your faith and trust in Jesus for the first time. You may need to call out this morning to God and ask Him to come into your life and to change you. God, I haven't really been changing. I don't really have a hatred for sin. I, I don't really have a growing love for you. I feel completely in bondage to my sin. I, I feel completely in bondage to my own desires and my own whims. I feel like all I ever do is whatever my body tells me it wants. I'm just always obeying my flesh. But God, I, I don't want to keep doing that. I want to be set free. Like You can call out to Him this morning and He will set you free. There is freedom from those things. And this gospel foundation is so important, guys. Because here's the deal. Verse 12, where Paul says, Don't let sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. Telling a, 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 a non-believer, don't let sin reign in your mortal body, is impossible. That's Pharisaism. John Piper says this, he says, You cannot fight sin successfully until you know your sin is forgiven. The only sin that you can triumph over in practice is a sin that Christ has died for. Grace is the foundation. See, here's, here's the kind of the, the linchpin of this passage right here, okay? Grace, far from being a license to sin, is actually the only way to be set free from sin. I'm not making that up. Just look at Romans 6.14. That's not my idea. That's straight from this passage. 14 says, for sin will have no dominion over you since, why? Since you are not under law, but under grace. So Paul says, the reason that sin will have no dominion over you is grace. Because you've already been forgiven. Because you've already been made clean. Because that sin's already taken care of. And the result, Paul implies, is that that should set you free from no longer sinning. So the, the original question, should we sin so that grace may abound? No. The, the fact that grace abounds is actually the very reason that we should cease from sinning. It's the very foundation that sets us free in the first place. The gospel of God's grace sets us free from sin's condemnation and sin's control. But what if you've been struggling over and over with the same sin? 
Maybe you've gone to God about it. You have the desire to, to stop it, but you can't seem to. What do you do? Paul shows us in verses 11 to 13. He says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. How do we kill sin? First, we remember what's true. In verse 11, Paul says we need to remember what is true. Consider yourselves dead to sin. Basically, what he's saying is believe everything that I just said in verses 1 to 10. Sin will no longer have any dominion over you. Our old self has been crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Paul says, believe that that's actually true. The purpose of this exhortation here is that oftentimes it's hard to believe that we're actually dead to sin. Why is that? There's several reasons. First of all, the devil doesn't want you to believe it. You're in a spiritual war. Have you ever not wanted to share the gospel or not wanted to pray or not wanted to go to church because you felt dirty or you felt sinful? You felt like you, you, you know you hadn't been doing the right things and so you want to avoid other Christians or you feel like, I can't, I can't tell somebody about God right now. I feel like such a total hypocrite. You ever feel like that? a spiritual war that you're in. Satan wants you to believe that you're not free from sin. You're a slave to it still. He wants you to throw a pity party to make you ineffective. Consider yourself dead to sin. James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I wish I had time to get into Romans chapter 7 and 8, but Paul uh, in Romans 7 talks about a spiritual warfare with indwelling sin, and he talks about this uh, this battle in the life of a believer and, and what we can do as we continue to struggle with sin as a Christian. And then in Romans 8, uh, he talks about the assurance that God will carry us to victory over indwelling sin by the Spirit. And he, he uh, towards the end of, of Romans chapter 8 and verses 29 and 30, he says, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined he also called and those whom he called he also justified and those whom he justified he also glorified i'd encourage you guys to go read romans chapter 7 and chapter 8 later today or tomorrow especially if you're in that boat where you say you're you're frustrated over uh, perpetual sin in your life and, and you're wanting victory over it and you're just feeling, feeling like you're not getting it, go read Romans chapter 7 and, verse, and chapter 8. We need to remember what's true. We also need to resist sin's reign. Paul says in verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. So he's giving us this command, obviously assuming that we can obey it, right? Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. That word reign, you know, you, I, I picture a throne. Just picture a throne in your heart. And sin wants to sit on the throne of your heart. Sin is not just something you do, it's a power. 
once you were under that power, but now we're united with Christ by faith. So Romans chapter 6 says that we're no longer slaves. The difference between a non-Christian and a Christian is that there is no war going on within a non-Christian. A non-Christian doesn't have the Holy Spirit. They happily let sin reign in their lives. Unknowingly, they're like an ox being led to the slaughter. They don't know it right now. A Christian, there's a war going on because you do have the Holy Spirit giving you the desires to do the things that are pleasing to God, but there's still this remnant, there's still the, the flesh. We haven't quite put off this old body yet. And so there's still uh, the flesh and the world and the devil waging war against us, trying to pull us away from Jesus. Without the Holy Spirit, people cannot and will not resist sin. But with the Spirit, we can and we must resist sin. And everybody who's born again and who's a child of God will resist sin. Jude 24 says that God will is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before the presence of God's glory with great joy. But we don't just sit back and take a passive approach to this. We've got to actively participate in putting to death the deeds of the body and putting sin to death in our lives. John Owen is a Puritan pastor. He famously said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Romans 8, 12 and 13, Paul says this. He says, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you're struggling with the same sins, you need to declare war on those sins. You need to declare war. What does that look like? How do you do that? First, cut off the source of temptation. We talk, some of the language that we use sometimes in church and as Christians, I feel like we don't really think about what we're saying. One of those things is, you know, I'll hear all the time is, I'm struggling with, you know, this sin. I'm struggling with porn. I'm struggling with, uh, you know, this or that. I'm struggling with jealousy. But let me ask you a question. Are you struggling with your sin or are you cuddling with your sin? Like, are you really struggling with it? You're not struggling hard enough if you're not, if you aren't doing whatever it takes to kill it. If you've been struggling with pornography for five years, you're not struggling hard enough, believer. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, verses 8 and 9. He says, If your right hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. I don't know if anybody's ever seen the movie 127 Days. It's by a hiker named Aaron Ralston, who uh, you may have heard this story. He was hiking in southern Utah. Uh, in the mountains, and he got uh, he fell into a ravine, and he got his right wrist trapped, uh, pin, uh, pinned to the canyon wall uh, by a boulder. Uh, and he was there for five days, uh, trapped, his right wrist pinned, couldn't get out, couldn't move. And uh, so what he ended up doing to survive is he actually cut off his own arm with a dull pocket knife 
uh, from the elbow down uh, over a period of five days. And then he rappelled down a 65-foot drop and hiked seven miles to safety. If I, if I came to you right now and I told you to cut off your hand with a pocket knife, you'd look at me and say, Pastor, you're crazy. I'm not cutting off my hand with a pocket knife. Why would I do that? But what if it would save your life? What if your, what if your hand was pinned against a canyon wall and it was either cut it off or die? It's amazing what we're motivated to do when we know the stakes. Isn't it? Some of you need to recognize the danger that you're in. Some of you need to recognize the danger that you're in. I read this week that 68% of church-going men view pornography on a regular basis. I mean, we don't need to be math experts to realize that that means that there are lots of men in this room who are actively right now engaged in it, who are Christians. And it's not just things like pornography, inappropriate relationships, drunkenness, bitterness and unforgiveness towards others. And whatever it is, for some of you, it feels like a thousand pound boulder that has you trapped. And so you're just living with it. You're stuck against a canyon wall in the middle of nowhere. But you don't want to cut off your hand. But I'm just telling you, if you keep living with it, it's going to kill you. It will kill you. You must kill it. And if you are a Christian, listen to me, you can You can defeat sin. Sin will no longer have dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. You have the spirit of the living God inside of you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Abide in him. Listen to him. Go to his word. Pray. Get get into community with like-minded believers. Get plugged in. If you're not plugged into the church, get plugged in. I mean, there's some real... Uh, practical ways that we can do this, guys. Uh, you know, getting extreme may look like doing things like getting rid of your smartphone. It might look like cutting off relationships from your life. It might mean quitting a favorite hobby that you have. It might mean confessing a sin that's going to have some consequences. Like if you if you confess this out loud, there's going to be some ramifications. And you've been avoiding it because you're hoping that maybe somehow I can overcome this thing and nobody will ever have to know about it. And I can just keep it shoved down and bury it underneath the dirt. And I, I can do this. I can handle it. No, you can't. You're going to have to bring it into the light. It's going to kill you if you don't cut off your arm. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. It might be painful. I know it's going to be painful. But not near as painful as facing God on Judgment Day and realizing you gained your arm, but you forfeit your soul. Call in reinforcements. So cut off the source of temptation and then call in reinforcements. The church is the means by which God keeps His people from falling away. We care deeply about your soul as a church. That's why we have stages discipleship. We have a discipleship pathway. We were not meant to live the Christian life alone. You will not make it. Sin will deceive you. You need Christian community. Listen, guys, if you're not in a discipleship relationship, the most important thing that you could do heading out of this service this morning is get into one. Like, we would love to do that. Come talk to me. Come talk to Thomas. Talk to Orion when he's here. Talk to any of the members here at this church. Any of the people in this church would love to get you connected into a discipleship relationship. We've got people in this church who are ready to disciple somebody who've come up to me and said, hey, I want to disciple somebody. There are no shortage of people 
here who would love to walk with you and would love to, to stand by your side. Disciple makers, this week, when you meet with the, the people that you're discipling, here's what I want you to ask them. On Sunday, when Jared preached that sermon, what sin came into your mind? What sin came into your mind? If you're a disciple maker, you have a spiritual responsibility to care for the people that you're discipling. So don't neglect asking them about what's going on in their lives. Like, let's talk about these things. What's coming up? What's going on in the life of your disciple? If they're struggling with some besetting sin or something like that, then help them. Hold them accountable. Help them to, to find freedom over it. And guys, don't wait for your disciple maker to ask you. If you know God is calling you to deal with something, then just go ahead and like tell them after church. Text them later today. Hey, when we meet this week, we just need to talk about this because this is going on in my life. I just want you to know. And I'm ready to deal with it. I want to cut off my arm. I'm tired of this thing having having dominion over me because I know that's not who I am. I know I'm a child of God and I've been set free from the bondage of sin and I'm tired of living in it. I know I don't have to. Let me encourage you to do that. And then call in reinforcements and then get in the word. When we sin, whenever we sin, we're believing a lie. John Bloom says nobody sins out of duty. Nobody sins out of duty. We never sin because we feel obligated to sin. We sin because we want to. Like we do what we most want to do. We sin because we think it will make us happy. We think it will make us happier than God will. The word is a, a weapon that reminds us of what's true. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart so that I might not sin against you. The word reminds us that, that what's true, it combats the devil's lie. And, and reminds us that sin does lead to death, that sin does have consequences. And it also reminds us that Jesus has the living water that satisfies us, that we don't need to go to cheap substitutes. So by the Spirit of God, wield the Word of God to put to death the deeds of the body. The stakes are, are high, guys. The stakes are high. This is not a, I know it's not an easy message to hear in a lot of ways, but it's such a needed one because, I mean, I just, I know in a room this size, there are believers in here and you are battling ongoing sin in your life right now. Or you've been making peace with it and you needed a wake up call this morning so that you didn't sleepwalk straight into condemnation. And, and this is, this is God's grace. As hard as it is, this is God's loving kindness and his grace. If God didn't love you, you know what he would have done? He'd have just said, fine, go. Walk, go, go walk blindly away from me and into hell. But he didn't. He brought you here this morning. Why did he bring you here to hear this word this morning? Because he doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to repent and to turn to him. He wants you to find fullness of life in him. He doesn't want you to keep going after these cheap substitutes. So let me encourage you to turn from your sin this morning. Remember the consequences. Here, here's just a few things. Remember the stakes, that sin always has consequences. Union with Christ sets you free from sin's condemnation, but if you indulge in sin, there will be con consequences. So what I mean by this is that if you're a believer, then you're saved, okay? If you have placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, then you're a Christian. But there are short-term consequences for sin. Moses struck the rock in anger and unbelief. And as a result, he didn't get to enter into the promised land with the people of Israel. God still loved him. 
but there were consequences for his actions. Sin promises pleasure, but always brings pain in the end, every single time. Remember that your sanctification is on the line. Passages like Romans 8.12-13 are given to us so that uh, believers who have the Spirit hear it and say, I need to flee from sin and run after Christ. So the warnings in Scripture are what God uses, the means that He uses to spur us on towards Christ's likeness. Remember that the souls of your brothers and sisters are on the line. Your sin doesn't just affect you. You are part of the body of Christ. We're to, scripture says we, we are to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So if a fellow believer sees you compromising and they use that as a rationale to compromise themselves, you will be accountable. We don't have the right to say, I'm not my brother's keeper if we're Christians. Yes, you are. We, we are one another's keeper. And, and when we become a part of the body of Christ, we're all members of the same body. Right? So that means that what I do impacts everybody else here in this church. And the same goes for every single other Christian. Lastly, remember that your joy in God and your usefulness to the kingdom are on the line. Second Timothy 2, 20, 21 says, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, and ready for every good work. Why is there so little depth, depth sometime in our walks with God? It's because we, we feast on cheap substitutes. I was telling the guys at the men's retreat uh, this weekend, we, we snack on spiritual potato chips on trivialities, on cheap substitutes for God, and we, we fill our lives with these, these other things and it dulls our spiritual appetite. God is looking for men and women who will consecrate themselves to the Lord and be a vessel for honorable use. Will that be you? Do you want to be used mightily of God in your life? Do you want to know Him? Then, then flee youthful passions and lusts. Cleanse yourself from what is dishonorable. Whatever that thing is that the Holy Spirit is bringing to your mind this morning right now, and you know what it is. It's between you and the Lord. You know what that thing is. Make the decision today, I'm no longer going to continue walking in this. I'm going to cut off this arm. I'm going to gouge out this eye. I'm going to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. Amen? Alright, let me pray. And uh, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And uh, we're just going to close out this morning by uh, singing. And so maybe as we're singing this closing song, maybe you just need to spend some time in prayer. You need to spend some time talking to God uh, about whatever is going on in your heart. Uh, there may be, you may need to spend some time uh, just confessing sin to God. You may need to spend some time repenting. Maybe you need to pray with somebody. Uh, if you'd like to pray with somebody, uh, I would uh, love to pray with you. Uh, I'll be standing towards the back. Uh, and uh, Thomas is, is back there as well. Uh, so either one of us would love to pray with, with you. You can come and talk to us. Um, and then again, let me encourage you as a very specific action step. If you are not in a discipleship relationship, come and talk to one of us and say, hey, I know I need to, I need to start getting discipled. I need to do this. Uh, come and talk to one of us so that we can help you do that. Or if you came with a friend to church this morning or something, talk to whoever brought you here this morning. Talk to them. Uh, and then uh, for the rest of you who are already in discipleship relationships, make sure 
you talk about whatever it is that God spoke to you about this morning, this week, whenever you do your discipleship meetups, okay? Now, let me pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. Uh, thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you that, um, God, your mercies truly are new every morning. That, God, it really is true that we we can't out your grace. God, I thank you that sin will no longer have dominion over us because we are not under law but under grace. Or that you're not calling us to put to death the deeds of the body by our own strength or by our own willpower. You're not calling us to do that so that we can earn our way to heaven. We can't earn our way to heaven. You have taken, you've removed that burden off of our shoulders, God. Jesus, you took that burden on yourself on the cross in our place. So we don't have to try to earn our way to you. Lord, I pray that we would come to you this morning in humility and in repentance and that we would, God, if there's, if there's sin that anybody is struggling here uh, in here this morning with, and God, I pray that they would come to you and say, Jesus, please help me. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be like this. I don't want to be this person anymore. I'm tired of, 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 of indulging in this sin. I know it's not your will for my life, God. I know it's not what you want me to do. Please change me. Please set me free. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I want you more than I want the cheap substitutes that this world has to offer. Because Jesus, I believe that you're better. God, may that be the cry of every single one of our hearts this morning. We love you and I pray this in Jesus' name.